It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into another edition of the Skinny Podcast, presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist editor with Rick Boring. It's the Potpourri edition, where we bounce all kinds of topics around. We start with the Reds Yankees trade, the one that brought right-hander Sonny Gray and a minor league lefty Revere St. Martin. I'm going to say that very, very quickly, then move on. Um, to the Reds, the Reds gave up minor league infielder Shed Long and a 2019 competitive balance pick, which would be the, basically the 36th overall in the 2019 draft. Gray was 11-9 and in 23 starts for the Yankees last year, had an ERA of 490, but did strike out 123 in 130 innings. Prior to that, he spent four and a half years with the A's. Went 44 and 36 with a 3.42 ERA and finished third in the 2015 AL Cy Young Award voting. Was also named to an All Star that that team that season. He's on the books for seven and a half mil in 2019. That's that's pretty bargain bargain basement. Um, before he was supposed to be reached free agency, but the prior to the deal being done, the Reds agreed to a contract extension that takes it through the 2023 season. That last year would be a, a team option. That deal reportedly worth three years, 30.5 million dollars. The team option at 12 mil in 2023. Is the Sunny Gray deal a good one for the Reds, in your opinion? You've been of the ilk of these are not moves that are going to put them over the top. Is this one you like or dislike? I don't. I don't dislike it. I don't either. It does not. It does not change my opinion that they're still probably the fourth best team in their own division. It makes them more competitive. It makes them more interesting, mm-hmm. and that's certainly like one thing about this Red season is they are absolutely trying to get fans interested. No doubt. You can tell they are worried about ticket sales because they clearly feel that they needed to bring some sizzle this off season in terms of the names again. I mean, when you, and the one thing I really like about Sonny Gray is this is a name we heard as soon as the off season started, right? This was a guy that they clearly had their eye on. Yeah. And, uh, I think there's some connections here. Uh, when you look back at Sonny Gray and new pitching coach, like, he he likes him. He he likes his yeah, makeup. He, he was, it was his pitching coach at all at, all, at, Vandy, at, at Vanderbilt. Yeah. So um, I think that 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 adds a little something to it too. It wasn't like, hey, we didn't get the guy we wanted, and so now we're panicking. We just want to go out and get him at all costs. This was a guy that they set their sights on. They they made a plan. They kept chipping away at trying to get a deal done. They finally got it done. I think they gave up a little bit. I mean, when you're talking about getting rid of Shed Long, who was a top 10 prospect. He he is, but his numbers in the minors aren't all that great. They're not, and I also think they're trading from position of strength. You you already are struggling to find a spot for a middle infielder, so bringing another one up in the next year or two probably isn't ideal. And guess who you didn't give up? You didn't give up Nick Senzel. Right. I mean, and that was the key, and 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 Trammell obviously too. Yeah, right. I mean, right was a guy that a lot right. of people wanted it wanted the Reds to keep. So in terms of just who they got rid of here, I, I don't th- like Shed Long doesn't doesn't kill you to, to lose it like like that out of your your farm system. The draft pick again, uh, that was like they value that at ten million dollars. It seems like a, a pretty big pick to get rid of. It, it does, but boy, I'll tell you what, I, I would invite anybody go, go to baseballreference.com and just look at, at major league baseball drafts. And look at how few guys really do make it. I mean, it is it was eye-opening to me, and some of this maybe is Reds-related. I did a piece last summer looking at Reds draft picks, I believe starting with Homer Bailey that year of the draft. And it was it was really pitching-related. And, and how few of those guys made it to the big leagues. Again, some of that could be Reds' evaluation. Some of that could be Reds' development. Um, some of that could be just the crapshoot of the, of the baseball draft. But to me, I, I, I'm okay with all of this. Again, you, you, to get something, you have to give up something, right? You right. have to. It's not. This is not, hey, I want Jimmy, but I'm going to give you little Joey who sucks. It just doesn't work that way. And, and I, that's where, look, the, the thing I think that I give them a lot of credit for is they said, we are going to get pitching. We're going to go get the pitching. Well, they've added three bona fide starters. Are there any of them top shelf 
No, but you're not getting that here, and you're not you you can't pay for that here. You can't afford that here. You got you got three guys are kind of the next tier down, and I'm okay with that, especially when you've got this offense in that ballpark. For goodness sakes, and Gray's one that at least has he's the type of guy we were talking about when you're looking for yes. the Scooter Jeanette type, yes. right? Like he's the guy that he showed promise early in his career. Heck, he was looked like an ace early Correct. in his career, Correct. and then he got to New York and just had an awful year. And look, when he was in New York, there are guys that have gone to New York and cannot handle that whatsoever. They get back out of New York and they're fine. Do you buy into that? Do you buy into like the pressure of New York? I do. I, I, I do. I mean, because it is, I think it's enormous, especially Yankees pressure, enormous, man. It's it's a lot, and some guys just can handle it, some can't. He could have gotten in a rut, and, and maybe, you know, maybe Derek Johnson's the one that said, listen, he's fixable. I, I know he's fixable. I'll fix him. He and I have a relationship. I'll, I'll make this work. I, and I think, I think there's a lot of, uh, when, when you do this, you're obviously rolling the dice, but I think this was a really well thought out roll of the dice for them. Well, and his home and road splits were crazy different yes. last year. When he was not in Yankee Stadium, he was good. Yeah. So it's a really interesting case study from that standpoint. I, mean, I think this is the type of guy you have to take a chance on if you're the Reds. I think it was David Weathers who pitched for the Reds and one point pitched for the Yankees who literally cried on the mound in Yankee Stadium. The, the crowd got to him that bad. Cried. Yeah, that's I mean, not ideal. It's not ideal. There's no crying in baseball. No. No, it's not ideal at all. The other part, too, is um, he doesn't give up home runs. Uh, less than He's never given great up ground ball rate. Great ground ball and rate. And a great American ballpark, that's required. Correct. Great ground ball rate and strikeout rate. It's, he's, about, he's not a complete strikeout at inning, but close enough, so he makes enough guys miss. I think, you know, again, sometimes you look at that and you realize, well, he's not pitching great American ballpark, but, you know, if you're a ground ball pitcher, you're a ground ball pitcher. It doesn't matter what ballpark you're in. So I, I think this was well thought out, and suddenly you now look at a rotation that has has Tanner Roark, it has Sonny Gray, it has Alex Wood. Suddenly, Luis Castillo, I still think, has a chance to be great, is your number four. And you're going to have a guy who I think is at least a bona fide starter, whether it's Tyler Mallory, Anthony DeSclafani, not a front-of-the-line guy. One of those guys is now odd man out. I mean, you're not suddenly looking day four going, who we got for day four? Oh, we got, we got Kurt. It's Kurt's turn. Kurt sucks. Who's number five? I don't know. We'll pick somebody out of a hat. You're not at that stage right now. I like it. No, yeah, and and... Sonny Gray is like they clearly think he's a guy that can return to that form I think that's why they make this deal but even if he doesn't you didn't lock up a ton of money no I I mean about 10 million a year for three years that's 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 any starting pitcher that's like a number three or number two and if we get to that club option and he's doing well it's not an awful club option to pick up at that point in time either no and right now he's probably the Reds ace yeah being honest it's funny I I put together we're putting together a graphic and it'll probably be up on local uh, 12.com by the time maybe you're listening to this podcast if not it'll be up very soon of kind of looking ahead to to what the rotation will be what the everyday eight will be what the starting lineup might look like and I put Sonny Gray at the top of the rotation I went Gray Roark Split him up with a lefty Wood and Castillo, and take your pick between Mali and, and Di Scalfani. So yeah, I think he he's got a very legitimate chance to be the staff ace, to be the opening day starter. It's a pretty good deal to give up Shed Long. Come on. All right, Skinny. While speaking to members of the media Tuesday at the Senior Bowl, Raiders head coach John Gruden announced that quarterbacks coach Brian Callahan has accepted the Bengals' offensive coordinator job. Surprise! Callahan <laughs> brings nine years of NFL coaching experience, including two years as Matthew Stafford's quarterbacks coach in Detroit before moving to Oakland with Gruden. He also spent six years with the Denver Broncos in a variety of offensive roles. Do you like the move to hire Brian Callahan as offensive coordinator, even though the Bengals, of course, have not announced this yet? They haven't even announced Zach Taylor as their head coach. (laughs) That's the the beauty of it. So so this makes you connect the dots more, because Zach Taylor played for Callahan's dad at at Nebraska. Bill, who's now the offensive line coach in Washington, and there's the thought that maybe Bill now comes and becomes the offensive line coach with the Bengals, and so it all becomes incestuous. That's the problem with this league, man. And I get its relationships. And look, as a coach myself, 
I, I would. I, I have a couple of guys. If I become a head basketball coach, that are going to be my assistants because I believe in them and I believe in in what they do. And nobody will know who they are. Nobody will have ever heard of them. Um, and I get it. Um, you know, you want to surround yourself with with your guys, with guys you're comfortable with. But man, it just it makes me pa- go pause to think that you've got two guys that have, have really never done this in the NFL running this offense. Um, and, and an offense that you're hoping to get a little more out of Andy Dalton, a little more out of John Ross, finding more creative ways to get the ball to Joe Mixon. Um, I, if it's his guy, the only thing I can say is if we're rolling the dice on Zach Taylor, i got to let Zach Taylor roll the dice on his guys. That's the only thing I can say. I don't know if I like it or love it or hate it. The track record doesn't exactly make me go wow. Um, and, he, and again, he's never done it. It's not like I can look at Oakland and go, boy, Derek Carr, what, a, what great strides he made. Nah, he really didn't. He kind of backtracked a little bit. Some of it, too, is, you know, you trade Amari Cooper and you lose yourself a pretty good weapon there. Um, I, he I had, some, had some really prolific years with Matthew Stafford. He did, and some of that, though, was Matthew Stafford throwing jump balls to Calvin Johnson. But, okay, I, I get you. I, I know what you're saying. And, and he may not have even coached in the Calvin Johnson era either. Uh, again, I don't want to crap on all these moves. I, I don't, because, again, if you're going to roll the dice, I don't like the Zach Taylor. I, I'm on record for that. I think it's a, it's, a, right. it's a bad roll of the dice. But if you're going to do it, if this is the guy that he wants, and it's not, I, I know people are going to go, this is the Bengals doing this. No, 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 he's got a relationship, man. This, this is what right. this is all about. This is Zach Taylor's call. Correct. Um, if you're going to roll the dice on Zach Taylor, you got to let him roll the dice on his guys. It's, it's, he, he needs to sink or swim on his own merits. I think bang, a lot of Bengals fans wanted something new. They certainly didn't want someone that was already in the organization or had Bengals ties. Or the Todd Haley's of the world. That's the other thing. I don't think they also wanted just a big name for the sake of having right. a big name that they already knew their shortcomings. Right. I think they wanted to feel like there's hope. We may have the next offensive genius. We may have something new and innovative. And we could and, find out in five games into the season that, oh my gosh, the kitty core doesn't know what they're doing, right? Well, that's the big concern here, right? Is that, are they in over their head? Or do you have that new, innovative system that's totally new? I'm excited because it's what I wanted. I wanted something different. Something I get that we didn't know, and that's what this is. I'm fully willing to admit they may be way in over their head, and it's a risky move. But I think when you're, whenever you're hiring a coach... At any level of any sport, you want the young up and comer that's hungry, that has something to prove. See, I don't even know if you, you need, want the old guy. See, I don't know if you did, if the old guy has a track record of success. I'm good with that. But there's a lot. Well, in this sure, league. but that's very rare Correct. that someone's out of work. No, there, there's a lot in this league. There was a guy named Mark Tressman who who everybody every time he he would bounce from coordinator job to coordinator job, and all you heard was what a genius Mark Tressman was. And I'd look and go. Well, if he's such a genius, why does he keep bouncing the jobs? And why does wherever he goes, they suck? Yes, yeah, some of it was personnel related, right? And some of that, I mean, that's true. You yeah. have dudes, but at the same time, I, the, the Paul Hackett, my God Almighty, that man got more jobs than the man. He's a great coach. He is. Go look at his track record. He didn't do anything in college. He didn't do anything as a coordinator in the NFL. He sucked. I mean, that's that's the part that bothers me. I don't. I, but that's what I'm talking about. Those yeah, are all guys I, with track I, records that yes. have bounced around. Yeah. You know their shortcomings. Yes. You know what they're about. I don't want that. I want a guy I know nothing about that someone thinks, hey, this guy's a ton of potential. He's an up-and-comer because I think that's your chance of hitting it big and getting a Sean McVay-type guy. Yeah. Is getting an unknown guy who everyone thinks highly of, or at least somebody thinks highly enough to, enough to give him a job. Correct. That's the guy I wanted to see. So while I admit it's a total crapshoot, we know nothing about him, I'm excited for it because at least we don't know yet, right? Yes, correct. And again, like I said, if if you're going to roll the dice on Zach Taylor, you must let him 
roll the dice on his guys. It's got to be his guys. If, if, if I'm going to be a coach, I don't want to be saddled with a guy that I have no relationship with. I really don't know if he's going to like my style, I'm going to like his style. And then suddenly you've got that clash there, and, and you saw it up. I mean, you saw all the dysfunction in Cleveland. You saw all that. You had three giant egos, the giant ego of the coordinator on the offensive side, coordinator on the defensive side, and, and Hugh Jackson, baby. And Hugh, I mean, it was, a, it was a train wreck because none of those guys meshed, and, and they were never going to mesh. Here you get the guy that wants his guy. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. It, it is. It's going to be they're either going to hit a home run with this very quickly or you're going to go f- halfway through this first year and go, oh, my goodness, what are they doing? Well, let's add another layer to that conversation yes. because next topic, it gets even more interesting here. Reports also surfaced that Jack Del Rio might be the favorite to take over as the Bengals' new defensive coordinator. After taking last year off from coaching, Del Rio would bring 16 years of head coaching and coordinating experience. He spent the last three years of his coaching career with the Raiders as their head coach. Before then, he was the Broncos' defensive coordinator for three years, the head coach of the Jaguars for nine years, and the defensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers for one year. Former Panthers, Broncos, and Bears head coach John Fox was also rumored as possibly being high on Taylor's list. Skinny, what do you make of the strategy here to go with an extremely experienced defensive coordinator after assembling a, a young offensive mind group on, well, on the other side of the football? I, I think part of it is if, if Zach Taylor is going to be pretty hands-on on offense, and you, th- you got to think he's going to be, right? You need to have somebody that basically just go, that's your, that's your group. You, mm-hmm. you got you got them. And you need somebody, I think, experienced to do that part of it. Because you're going to run the other side. So that's on you. And I think the other part, too, is, and we just talked about the recycle. Jack Del Rio feels recycled to some degree. But I also think the fact that you've got a guy that, that's been through all of this as a head coach, that's handled a room, that's handled 53 players, that's handled a playoff run, that's handled a lot of those things. you got that guy to lean on, too, to go down the hall and go, hey, I, I need some advice on this. Um I think Jack Del Rio's got a big ego, but I don't think it's big enough to where he realizes I'm the defensive coordinator. I'm going to run this side of the ball. I'll be his his voice when he needs some help. But he does, you know, he's I don't think he's going to push for the other part. Now, if he also brings in Bill Callahan, there's another guy with with NFL head coaching experience too. So suddenly, on your staff, while you got you know the kitty core running the the offense, you've got two experienced guys that have been through this as a head coach. I, I think it, I think it's I think that part's smart. And it, again, I know it smacks in some of the face of what we just talked about of the recycle guy, Jack Del Rio doesn't feel recycled to me. I think Jack Del Rio's well, had success. He certainly is recycled, but you're going from a guy yeah. who's a bona fide right. NFL head coach for years and years and making him, hey, do you mind coming back and being the veteran in my Correct. locker room and being my defensive coordinator? And he may, be, he may even get the title of associate head coach or assistant head coach, whatever it would be, just to know that, hey, this is the, this is kind of the guy that we're leaning on here because of his experience. I, I, think, it, I think that was a smart move. That was the first name that popped in my head when Zach Taylor got the job was Jack Del Rio's defensive coordinator. So it, it makes a lot of sense to me. It's clearly the Sean McVay approach, right? I mean, I know people are probably getting right. tired of hearing that, but that's exactly what he did. Yeah, Wade did. Phillips. Yeah, he went super young on the offensive side with him calling the plays, and, and the other guys on that side of the football were young, obviously, and he even went away from an offensive coordinator altogether this year and went a passing coach and a running coach right. on the offensive side and said, I'm going to be the play caller, and I'll have one of you each sort of uh, game plan for the running yes. game and the passing game. So he was really innovative on that side, but then he said, Wade Phillips is my defensive coordinator. Well, I want a really experienced guy that knows what he's doing and just hand it off to him yeah and I think part of it too is Wade Phillips was a head coach because you run into that risk too of if you bring in a former head coach in theory that guy aspires to be what again a head coach a head coach but if you've gone through all the wars of this you've made your money you just enjoy coaching football which I think Wade Phillips that's where he is and I, I just want to coach my defense right and I maybe Jack Del Rio's at that point of you know what well he's been I out coach my defense he's been out for a year you would have to right. think he's at that point yeah and and I think that's the only concern when you make a move like this is that you have to make sure there's no personality conflict. Even though I, I'm sure if, if 
he's going out to to get a guy like Jack Del Rio. You have to assume from an outside perspective that they've got a good relationship and it's certainly a guy he trusts and feels he can yep. lean on. But you're right. You also have to make sure that that old head coach isn't going to get around the program and be kind of set in his ways and start saying, no, 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 kid, that's not how you do this. You know, you got to make sure you can be young and innovative and not rub that guy the wrong way as yeah, well. And that's, I, that'd be my only concern about an old guy. Like yeah, that. but the, the hope would be that that's what you vet out in the, in the process of, of discussing this, right? That, that you realize and he realizes, here's your role, here's my role, here's what I need you to do, here's what I want you to do, and if, if all those things can work, we'll have a perfect marriage. And I think you see that with Sean McVay and Wade Phillips. I think Wade Phillips, he doesn't aspire to be a head coach any longer, it doesn't look like. He's more than satisfied to run a defense and by golly, he runs a pretty good defense. So, no, I, I, I think I, I like it. I like, I like what they're trying to do. I do too. Skinny Reds legendary play-by-play announcer Marty Brenneman said that he will retire after the 2019 season, his 46th in Cincinnati. Well, let me hear it. What is your favorite Marty Brenneman moment, call, man, saying? Oh, man. What, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear Marty Brenneman's retiring? It makes me sad because uh, this will, I'll date myself here, right? The summer that Marty Brenneman started, we moved back. We, we started here when I was a kid. We moved around for, for about four years, to New York for a couple of years, to Tulsa, Oklahoma. We had just moved back. That summer, uh, from late that summer from Tulsa, so I didn't get Marty initially. The, the first part of the year, I got him at the end of the year, and fell in love with him as a ten year old. I'm 55 now, man. That you talk about a lot of summers listening to the same freaking voice, and and I am one that I, I I know every Reds game is now on TV. I grew up in an era when you would only get m- mostly the road games and not even all the road games, but you'd get most of the road games. Those were the ones that were televised. So home games, if you didn't go, and that was an era where you, I did go a lot as a kid. I mean, you grow up, and then that's what you do, and then, then you don't. Um, but I, if not, I loved listening to radio. And now I make a habit in the summertime. I love to just go out in the back, get my laptop to get some work done, grab a cold beverage, and listen to the Reds on radio more than probably watch them on TV in the summertime. Now, if it's 9,000 degrees out, and you know we have some of those summer nights where it's 85 with 82% humidity, right. and you just can't do it, or if it's really, really cool in, in April or late September, then no, I'm going to probably watch inside. But um, it, it's, it's just been ha- it's been a habit for me. So, I mean, that you talk about a voice that you grew up with. It's taking you literally through your lifetime. That's him. And, man, uh, just the way if you if you if the way I, I, I judge play-by-play guys is if I can close my eyes or if I'm driving in the car and I can picture where the ball is in a basketball game, it, it drives me crazy in football games where here's Smith back to pass. It's caught. Up at the 45, all right? Where at the 45? On this right side, on the left side, in the middle? By the way, who caught it? Can you help me with that? Um, you know, in baseball, here's a line drive, base hit. Base hit to where? Left center, right center, up the middle, over the third baseman's head, over the short side. He, dude, you could close your eyes or just picture every time when Marty was making a call where the ball was. And I wrote a column, obviously, like everybody did in, in, in town that's a columnist uh, about Marty. I mean, when, when he would do a home run call that was not a no-doubter, no-doubter, he would, okay, you could tell it was a no-doubter. He'd say it's a no-doubter. But the drama of a buildup, here's a drive, back into deep left center field, Jones going back to the wall, and just that pause of, is he going to catch it? And occasionally, he's got it up against the wall, or gone. It, you, you, you could feel the buildup of, I you know he hit it well, you know the guy's going back, it's not a no-doubter, is it going to be? And when it is, it just, it, 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 it pictures it. Probably my favorite call of all time was there was a year when Buddy Bell was playing third base, and, and he had a, about a two-week stretch where literally every ball hit his way, he was, he was gobbling up. It was the most insane defensive stretch ever. And one of the ones, and I, and I, I remember seeing the highlight that night because I heard the call, was here's a smash out of the third base line, Bell diving, stopping, getting up, throwing, got him. And you can picture the whole thing, diving, stopping, getting up, throwing, got him. And you watch that night, I'm like, damn, he nailed that like in it instantaneously. It, it, that's the kind of stuff. I, I, and the fact that 
I know people get mad at his criticism, and I, I get if you're a staunch Reds fan, you see it through. The Reds can do no wrong. I, I like that fact. I like the stories. I like the fact that in, in the seventh inning of a 9-2 game in, in, in late August when the game didn't matter and it's out of hand that he could tell something that would actually keep me interested as opposed to going, game's over. He's just, you know. No, he's, he is by by far to me the best, and I'm not sure. As much as I think Vin Scully's voice is great, nobody did baseball on radio better than Marty Brennan. Nobody. It's crazy. You take it for granted growing up with it when you had him your whole life and you don't I mean especially in my era driving around and hearing other baseball broadcasts isn't something that really happens a whole lot so until I really got into covering like the AAU stuff in the summers and we'd be on the road right you try to find something as you're driving in another city where you'd start hearing some other broadcasts you go oh my god yeah oh these these are professional broadcasters in another city like this is a college broad this should be on a college radio station or something. This isn't Marty and Joe. It's the guy Marty with the first voice that says, here's a fly ball to right center. Jones got it. At best. Yeah, at, at best. best. You're hoping to have that voice. Some of them don't even have the voice. I mean, to hear M- Marty is so good. Come on down to the ballpark for $2 hot dog night. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's the Shoshone's Autograph Alley brought to you by IBM. Yeah. And a lot of them, are the, it's a homogenized voice. He had kind of an original voice, too, it, it feels it, like. It's just him and... There, there's two two things that really stick out to me for Marty's career, and one is the final game he ever broadcasted with Joe. Yep. And uh, Lance McAllister plays that once a year, yep. every year on that day, and I love hearing it. And I, I felt like it was kind of the last. You you talked about Marty getting kind of jaded and and being negative on the team a lot, and rightfully so. Like I liked that too about him, but I do feel like after Joe left. There was it was kind of that, that last that last broadcast together is the last time I felt like we really heard that just pure joy and how much Marty really loves his job, yeah. really loved yeah. his partner, really loved the Reds baseball organization. Like you hear so much emotion in that broadcast. It's the one I always think about when I think about him because it it makes me think about how fondly he, how much he loved it, how much we loved listening to him. That's the pinnacle broadcast for me is just hearing all the emotion in that one. But there's another one. It's such an obscure play. I can't even remember what it is, how it happened, whatever. But it was when it was the first year or second year, I think, that Tom got in the booth with Marty, and he was calling a game with him. And there's a routine ground ball hit to Brandon Phillips, and he, he says something like, Phil, Phillips, plenty of time, scoops it up, checks the Bud Selig signature on the ball, and flips it on over to first. And Tom just loses his mind. That's why you're a Hall of Famer, Dad. That's why you're a Hall of Famer. I'll like never forget it because I, as he's saying it, it's like you said, where it's bang, bang. It's such a quick thing, and he's so smooth right. and able to think of it right off the top of his head of what is going on. And it just made a play that and you can absolutely pick, you nothing. Can picture him doing it. You can picture a guy catching the ground ball, realize I got a second to look at it. And it's like a sixth sixth inning game where the score is a blowout. Like, it didn't matter at all. It was a totally insignificant play. And I'm in my car just all fired up because he has painted the perfect picture of exactly what happened on that play. And it's like, and then you got Tom all fired up. And I'll always remember that call just because he really is. That is really why he is a Hall of Famer. He paints a picture no doubt. better than anybody. You're exactly right. I mean, it's uh, in one way, it's kind of sad, but he kept saying that he was going to just retire at the end of a year without telling anyone it was coming. I'm really glad he didn't do too. that, and he listened to everyone else yeah, and I let us too. know. Because I he, I mean, it's going to be like a, a Jeter-esque type tour around Major League Baseball for him this year, Agreed. I think. 
Teams are going to honor him at every stop he and makes. And that's where for him, I think, too, you know, you now you can pick and choose the trips. I mean, he's doing that anyway, but you can really decide, I, I definitely want to go one more time here. I want to go one more time there. Because it is a grind. I mean, I know everybody says, hey, you're broadcasting baseball for a living, and and, oh. and much of the public would love to do it. And 162, that, man. But it's a, it's, it's a lot. It is. It, I mean, I want you're out of the ballpark at midnight, probably home by one or two. Maybe get it, you know, you're up. At the, you know, maybe you got appearance or something in the morning. At his age, he probably hey. wakes up at 6.30 in the morning. Correct. Just naturally. Yeah, right. Correct. <laughs> no, you're right. That's probably true. And then you, you know, then the prep prep time for the game the next night. I mean, it it, it is a lot. It, it's a lot. There's no question about it. And still have that energy in the voice. I mean, he still sounds like a man who's whatever in his 40s calling baseball. He really does. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I would tell you this. This is what I wrote. I mean, I, you better savor this summer because you you're going to realize when he's no longer calling games. Man, was he really good. One last word. I am really glad that he is getting out before there's any decline in his skills whatsoever. He's still yeah. the best in the game, yeah. absolutely. And it's kind of great that we'll never have to go through that period where we're going, oh, man, Marty's starting to lose it, man. Correct. He's he's missing the plays. He's not he's not reading the numbers right or anything like that. Like He is on top of his game. He will be through this year. Yep. And that's, that's the really cool part about this, you. too. I agree with you. Both said. All right, Skinny, let's get into some of these lines. It's time to take a look. And all we've got left right now is college basketball, at least for a week until the Super Bowl comes back around. So Yeah, I'm trying to think. Last week I did have – I had the Rams – and I had the Chiefs. Yeah, I had the, I had the Super Bowl. I had the Brady. You, you did tell me that the uh, Patriots, the dynasty was over. The dynasty was over. So thank you for that. Yeah, that was I think really I said. Did I say part. take take your, take the house money or whatever? I think I said bet the house. Yeah, I think blood bank guarantee or something. something like you got that. real yeah. Clay Travis yeah, on that yeah, one. Really good work. Did. Yeah, that was good for me. All right, so Skinny. Saturday at two p.m. Marquette at Xavier. The Musketeers are two point dogs in that one. The total one forty six. What do you think about that one? I'm going to take X at home. I mean, a little bit of the revenge tour here um, after Marquette smacked them down a few couple weeks ago. I mean, I didn't think they played a bad game at Nova. Nova made a bunch of shots, and Nova's still – Nova's not, like, national championship great, but they're still pretty damn good. Yeah. And you stood toe-to-toe with them on the road, and you even said maybe this is the year they beat them, and yeah, while it was never really probably in doubt, I mean, they still gave it a pretty good swing. I think they're playing better, and I think they get Marquette at home. And I'll go I'll go over, barely over. Yeah, Marquette I, won't defend. I like the over. Of course, I, we said they'll this, slap the floor, but they can't defend. <laughs> we said over at Marquette, and of course, it was that game that started off super ugly, yes. super low yeah, scoring. It was almost an automatic low from the jump. Yeah, and Xavier never even got over sixty in that game. So uh, that being said, coming back to the Centa Center, Marquette's still going to be able to score. Obviously, yes. that's what they do. Xavier should shoot the ball a little bit better at home. I think they're scoring a little bit better as well. Uh, Quentin Gooden, you know, he went out at halftime of that game and never returned. Right. So everything was kind of in flux. That wasn't a, a great situation for Xavier. I think they, they hit the over here. I can't I can't pick them to win or cover this spread, though. I, I think it's a good game. I think they lose by several. Uh, I'll, wow. I'll take Marquette and that the two points. I'm surprised it's honestly only a two-point spread. I'll be interested to see if Vegas has right. like, Again, that the, small. Yeah, these, is Ken Palm. these are Ken Palm spreads, so just just Although, they've been, they've been darn close. The, darn total, the totals especially have been really good. Absurdly accurate. Yes. All right, uh, also Saturday, 6 p.m., a big one. We've got Kansas at Kentucky. The Wildcats favored by five in that game. 143 is the total. Playing pretty well right now. I mean, you go to Auburn and win. You follow that up with, with you know, beating Mississippi State soundly, even though it was at home. You still beat them soundly, and they're a good team. Um, I'm going to go Kentucky. Kansas is dealing with some injury issues, and, and they're not playing great. They were all out to beat Iowa State at home, and they don't lose Big 12 home games very often. It almost did. Um, I, I think Kentucky's starting to find its stride. I think they continue with the, with the, with the win. I'll, I'll go Kentucky. I'll go 
70. So they'll cover by a couple and they'll go over barely. Yeah, losing Azabuki clearly hurts yeah. Kansas. Honestly, on both ends of the court, right. I think you're seeing that. And going against this Kentucky team with the confidence they kind of have rolling right now, I think that's going to be really tough. But on the flip side of things, you've got a Kansas team that probably feels like they really need this win too, right. especially coming off that West Virginia loss. They're going to be motivated. Bill Self is a great coach. you got to think he's, he'll be able to get his guys refocused. I think this this has the potential to be game of the year type contest. You know, Kentucky's playing its way into where if it continue, if he gets a scalp here and manages to get a scalp with Tennessee at some point, they're yeah. getting towards one seed territory. That's I been I'm, saying like the thing about the SEC this year is I there know. are so many opportunities. I mean, you start for to, a scalp. You get this scalp, you got the Auburn scalp, and you got the North Carolina one. Those are three pretty good ones. And the Louisville one's not an awful one either. No, I mean it's they 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 really can put together a really nice resume still, yep. but you need this one yes, to do it. Absolutely, you need the Kansas absolutely. game at Hope. I think Kentucky wins it. The five point spread is a tough one for me. I think I'd uh, I'd take Kansas in the points, but I'd take Kentucky on the money line to win the game. I think this one goes over. So uh, also on Saturday, seven p.m., we've got Milwaukee at NKU, the Norse fifteen point favorites. Ooh. 141 is the total. I think that's what the Vegas line will be darn close to that, don't you I think? I think it will, yeah. I, I think maybe like 13 and a half. I'll go, I think NKU wins this one. Hey, I'm going to go NKU 88-68. Milwaukee always makes it really know, difficult on NKU because they slow the game down so much, and John's teams like to run. They like to get rhythm on offense. I think they smack Milwaukee, and I, I'll say they cover this point spread eventually, but I do not think it's going to be one of those games that's like in the 20s yeah. and they easily get to that. I think it's going to be like they're up by five, six, seven for a lot of the game, and then they kind of push it there at the end and, and, and get that spread. I do not think it'll hit the over. You don't think it'll hit the over? Okay. What's shocking with NKU at home, but Milwaukee just makes it ugly, man. Right, I'm going to give you another over-under. Over-under conference wins for NKU of 15 and a half. I hate you. We're not talking anymore. I, so I, I'm going to come up with a new one every Sun, week. Sunday at noon, UC is at Temple, as Chad Brendel said on the Skinny Pod College Basketball Podcast on Sunday night. Always a tough place it for is. them to play. It is always a tough place to play. Temple is... Coach of the year, Fran Dunphy. Temple, or uh, UC is two-point favorites in that game. 134 is the total. You know, I don't want to get over my skis with the win at Wichita State. It was a good road win, right? I mean, you win on the road in any league, it's a good road win. And a win that at a place that even though Wichita State isn't... They isn't, stink they, they, They're not very good. I mean, the, the South Florida game was an embarrassment. Um, that's why I don't want to get over my skis with the win. Although, UC did a good job taking care of business. That said, Temple's far better than Wichita State. It is on the road. Oh, man, I'm going to go... I'm going to go Temple by three, 71-68, so it goes over two. Yeah, I th- I mean, it just it just something about playing Fran Dunphy and playing yeah. in Philly, and this UC team on the road is not that impressive anyways. And, again, you're right. The Wichita State game was a nice win for them. They yeah. played pretty well. Didn't shoot it great early. I mean, all those things, and you still found a way to win. But overall, they've really struggled on the road. Yeah. I think this is one that gets them. I don't even know if it's that big of a slip-up. I think it's kind of a game you expect them to struggle in. Yeah, that, that's, yeah maybe that's the part of it is is, is that this, this is one of those road games that you may have chalked up as a 50-50 year before the season, maybe even 40-60 to win. And I, I, I need to see them beat somebody decent on the road before I, I declare they're a good enough road team to, to win games like this. I think that's fair. All right, Skinny, let's take our trip around the nation. It's time to look at some NFL. Oh, boy. We're going to start with basically some officiating talk because if you look at those the uh, division championship games, it was blatant. I mean, 
just hard to watch, honestly. We'll start with the Saints game. The Saints appeared to have the NFC Championship in hand near the end of regulation when Rams quarterback Nikel Roby Coleman delivered a helmet-to-helmet haymaker to Saints receiver Tommy Lee Lewis before the ball arrived. If the penalty had been called, the Saints would likely have won the game. Instead, they lost in overtime 26-23. There's been tons of talk about this all week, but let me just ask you this, Skinny. What should the NFL do about this situation, whether you're talking about this specific one or just situations like this in the future? Is there anything that can be learned Brady, the Brady, or changed? The Brady, the Brady uh, roughing the passer penalty that really wasn't the kind of fan roughing the passer penalty. Nothing. Do nothing. It's part of the game. I mean, look, especially on subjective calls, roughing the passer is fairly subjective. Interference is subjective. They missed it. They blatantly missed it. There should be some punishment for the referee or the official in this case that did not make the call or officials because there's probably two, at least two sets of eyeballs on that on that particular play. They should face some ramification, and we need to know what the ramification. There needs to be transparency of what the NFL has done to these two guys. But I mean, it's it's an, it's an imperfect game that we're trying to make perfect on a on a feels like game to game basis that we want everything to be perfect. It's not. The other part is everybody's jumping the assumption that the Saints would have won the game. There's no guarantee they score a touchdown there either. They're at the four. They probably do. I can logically tell you the percentages would say that they probably do, but there's no guarantee. That's why I love these Saints fans. They're petitioning the NFL. No, sorry, it doesn't work that way. It's you. It sucks. Life ain't fair, man. Live with it. It's just, it's not. I'm sorry it's not fair. I wish I was 7'2", 290 pounds and could dunk. I'm not. I'm 5'7", and I'm a short white guy. I mean, I, it is what it is. You just you just deal with it and move on. I No, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of every time a, a, a non-call is made, people want change. No, stop. I'm sorry, but we're already stopping the game every five seconds anyway and taking all this extra time with reviews. Why in the final few minutes, why do we not make something like pass interference reviewable because how about how about then we do this how about i saw a hold and they, the officials didn't can we stop it to go that and go hey left tackle held in the last play go look at it oh you're right he did hold come on inside of two minutes no why don't you get one one penalty challenge no skinny i've never no. seen anything no. more blatant and i agree and it was pa- terrible and pass interference has become such a significant part yes of it has sport yes it has that it's something that's so easy to see on films. Pass interference is one of the things where I think it's easily correctable this, look, on film. This one was blatant. There is so much. You see it. How many times you see a ball when they slow down the replay and the corner's fighting the receiver, the receiver's pushing on the corner, that you could call a penalty on that and there's a no call. Are we going to start reviewing that now too on a subjectivity and go, well, they were both hand fighting. Fred got the last push in. I'm going to call it on Fred. Well, like I said, inside of two minutes or whatever the situation is, you say you get one review of a penalty. You get one penalty review as well. It's not like you're going to be able to do it on every play. But if you have something that's so egregious like that, why why wouldn't you? We challenge everything. We have stoppages in the game for everything. Why you can eat? Yeah, maybe it's not cut and dry. But neither are a lot of these catches and other things that we review. You can see penalties a lot easier than you can see a lot of things like catches with if it hit the ground or not on a replay. That was so reviewable and so easily fixable right there that everyone uh, I, I, ten out of ten times you you could have more reasonably thrown that guy out of the game for a targeting call. No doubt, and you could have not called a pass interference. In no doubt, play. I agree with you. It was a missed call. And it sucks. I get it. Like, that's part of it. But guy why missed, don't... Guy, guy missed a block to allow Drew Brees to get hit and throw an interception. But, why? But like, I again, I think that's something that's pretty easily correctable here. I, I, I just, just don't think it's that hard. I, it's just, it's unfortunately, it's part of the game. That's why I go back. I, I think the thing is, you open up the Pandora's box of... of like of, We've already done that. 
of wait a minute, hang on, that guy held that guy there. Wait a minute, that guy illegal contacted there. Oh, oh yeah, again, I'm saying every, no. every single solitary thing. No, I just told you exactly what I want to do. Inside of a certain time restriction, like two minutes, just like we do scoring plays and everything else. Well, well but if you're going to do it, why not open it up to the first quarter and the second quarter and the because, third? Because you want you want it like you don't want the game to end on such an impactful play like that but, where you just totally but blew it. The, the point the Pandora's box is open is suddenly there could be calls in the first quarter that could. I, I may be but going down to score ha- score a touchdown and, I, and and you interfered and and they didn't call it. But we already have that type. Of, we already have that you type of stuff. Re- you can't review that, though. No, I know. But what I'm saying is, we already have those things. Where hey, and inside of two minutes, we take certain things more seriously. Like every every scoring play is now reviewed. We used to do stuff. Well, like I don't inside mean, of they two take more seriously. I think they do it where you use some of your challenges up, and they realize we're yeah. not allowed to challenge anymore. So we're going to take that that onus it, on us, right. As a league, right. And it used to be every scoring play was inside of two minutes. Now it's every scoring play throughout the game. They changed that. Um, every Correct. turnover is now is, throughout yes. the game reviewed. Stuff like that. I don't understand what we've already made these certain arbitrary things where it's like, oh, we look at this now and we don't look at that. Why uh, wouldn't this be another thing that you just add like inside of two minutes? The we're human, gonna look at the that human too. element's a hell of a thing, man. Well then go all the way. What I'm tired of yeah, is okay, I have to sit okay. through fifteen okay. freaking reviews that meant absolutely nothing throughout the game, and then we get to watch that end the game on just complete BS. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And I, it's easily correctable. I, the the thing I, I'm almost to the ilk of, of let's just do away with replay all, all told. I'm fine with that. I have no problem with that. Yeah, I, I really have. I know people keep saying that, and sometimes I feel that way too. But then I go back to how now many here, ridiculous plays we saw before we decided, like, hey, we got to get replay in here because that would have been easily yeah, correctable if we had it. Here's the here's the the elephant in the room that, that's going to come up probably in the next decade with stuff like you're talking about and why we probably will get to the point where there's an arbiter in the sky that makes the the final ruling on this is when we get to legalize gambling across this country when calls like that really swing significant amounts of money you start to look as blatant as that was and I don't want to say that they did this but as blatantly as that was missed you could argue the fix was in you could argue that you could I think it's the only argument right here. That is the most egregious right. missed call I've ever seen in any sport. Can you think of a better one? No. I, well, the, the that 1972 is, Olympics that, that robbed us of a gold medal in basketball, but that's the old guy in me. That is the most... I always have to give you an old guy reference every Yeah, podcast. you really do. I'm oh, sorry. But that is that is targeting, essentially. Yeah, no, and, there, there were two penalties on the play. There was targeting and there was pass interference. No, that, that's the part for me that, that's the most interesting is it makes you go, was the fix in? What, like... <laughs> Big Cat from Barstool I had a tweet where I said where I think he said that was so illegal it confused the refs into making them think it was legal which right. I think is true like they saw it happen I was like I can't believe he just did that <laughs> it's the only logical explanation unless they were cheating blatantly uh, yeah and, and that's what's going to happen the, when we get legalized gambling across this country when each state starts to say we're doing it 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 and the NFL hops into bed with them because they've already done it with, with a casino deal um that's the part to me that's going to make you're going to have to really ramp up your credibility game as a league on calls like that, and that's where I think I, I don't like it. I'd rather just go away. I'd rather just the human element be involved. But when the human element's involved, there can be a lot of stuff going on, and that's why I think it eventually will get to the, what, what you're what you're suggesting it gets to is whatever the time frame: five minutes, three minutes, two minutes. Um, you get three total challenges. Period. Or you up the challenge like timeouts. You get five challenges, and you can use them at any time. And it's like it's like in a basketball game. You want to save your five challenges for the last two minutes. Save them for the last two minutes. However you want to do it. You get two thirty second challenges and three fulls. However you want to do it. I mean, I think it will get to that. I just don't like it. I like I like I like the fact that it's an imperfect game, and sometimes it's called imperfectly. 
Well, and I think it also and takes... sometimes it's played imperfectly. It could take a little bit of the concern about the gambling and cheating out, too. I right? agree. Because it's hard to do that all game in the NFL where you're cheating for a specific team. Like, I mean, you could, but it'd get a little obvious. It'd be a little more difficult to, like, decide when you're going to pick your points. But when it's a play like that at the end of the game, it's like, hey, this is going to... Hey. This is everything. It's a lot more easy to blow one call and really have an impact on the in game. In my gambling days, there were so many times I'd watch a game and think that the fix was in either from this player or that official, and it really, really made you look at it a whole lot differently. Now that I don't, I just look at it and shrug my shoulders and go, I really don't care who wins. That might be the best point right there is this is the perfect reason not to ever gamble. Right. Because right. you could have done everything right and get correct. screwed by a ref right correct. there. That's correct. Just now, don't gamble. That game probably could have ended in a push, but nonetheless, uh, I mean, yeah, your point's, your point's well taken. I, I just... I, I get everybody's outrage. I get it. I, I love the fact that Saints fans are trying to get the NFL to replay this game. Yeah, but like, why? Why is there that rule in the rule book I, that says the commissioner that, can restart a game a legit, or overturn a, a game? Because this is the only time you. This is the closest we've ever coming to being able to use a rule like that. Yeah, and, I don't and if you're not going to use it for this, why have it? Yeah, I don't even know if you. you it says replay the game. I think you just pick no. it up from that spot. Well, no, it's 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 a couple options. I, I know. Yeah, he can overturn it if he thinks like they were blatantly wrong and should have just won the they game. They were blatantly. Wrong. Which, which that wouldn't be the case here. They wouldn't have definitely won the game. No, again, this. they would have first and goal. What the four, maybe three, yes. whatever it was. Yeah. And so that he can also restart it from how much time was left right. on the clock from that play too. Overturn the play and start it from there. I'm not saying they should have done that because I think that's a terrible idea. However, if you have that in your rule book, why? If you're not going to use it here, there's no reason to have it. In well, your rule the book. funny part was that the NFL before the night was even out issued an apology before the night was even over said they missed the call of course they did what else are you going to say so, so that would be the point where you could say well if you know that you missed the call there's that rule in the rule book i, I that's what i'm that's what i'm saying like th- this is like the only time you could have we've ever been able to possibly use that rule if you're going to say no now i'd say it's probably time to just take it out of your rule book to no one asks you to use it again you know saints fans they like the term who dat because that's where kind of the who day there's yeah. the, the argument of who said it first yeah. who dat who day who dat the officials, that's who that. With 8.47 left in the AFC Championship game, Skinny, the Patriots were leading by three and just forced a Chiefs punt, but the ball bounced in front of returner Julian Edelman. Instead of getting out of the way, he seemed to want to try and scoop the ball up. As the ball got closer, he got out of the way at the very last second, but it came very close to him, and Kansas City alertly picked up the ball. The ruling on the field was that Edelman touched it, and it was Kansas City's ball, which would have put them in business to take the lead and all of the momentum. But the play was then overturned, and he ruled he never touched the ball, so the Patriots kept possession. I'm assuming you saw that. I know you were busy that day, but I'm assuming you saw this play. Yeah, I saw the replay of it, yes. Did the refs get it right, first of all? Well, no, because of of this reason. If if this is where replay comes into the fold, there there wasn't clear evidence either way. Either way. It was me. the perfect play, wasn't it? Yes. We saw that slowed down a billion times. And, I and there is I zero conclusive evidence either way. If you say you know it hit him or you say you know it skipped over him, you, you're a liar. Correct. It's There's like, no way you what know. What was the Yanni? What was Yanni? And what, what was Laurel. The, yeah. It's kind of like that, right? Of, of you hear and see no, what you want to see. A, there was a right answer to that. Well, that's a good point. There cannot be a right answer to this. There's no way you know if that touched him or Correct. not. Correct. I don't so, even know if he knows. So by rule... By rule, you go with the ruling on the field. Yes, you have to. I can't believe they overturned it. I know it. I mean, that that's the part to me where replay is like, what's the point then? I mean, what's the point? All you've done now is you've muddied the waters. You've If you don't go to the replay, if you don't use the replay in that circumstance, then then you go with the ruling on the field. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's the problem. They did use the replay I know. here, and they used it to overturn somehow. Because it wasn't clear evidence either way. Right, but that should mean I, you stay with your, your original call. And correct. how they overturn this, I'll never know. I'm not saying it was the wrong call to keep the ball with the Patriots. They He may not have touched it. In fact, if I had to guess off that replay, I'd say he I'd didn't. probably yeah. lean on the side of he, it missed him. Uh, yes, and he did but I, I can't. It. But there is no way yes. I could call it on the field, say he touched it, and then by the rule which says you need Conclusive evidence. Replay is the devil. I could ever turn. You know, That's we, we, we we love replay because it, it gives us a chance to to, to second guess. I, I I'd almost pine for the days of never having replay again. I'm, I'm good with it. I know, but again, I'm good with it. Just just honestly, don't show me replay. Just just keep talking and move on to the next play. Show guys coming in and out of the huddle. Show the sidelines some more. I don't need to see the replay. No, you're 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 forgetting how bad it was right before we got replay. No, you no. are. You're, there were so many missed calls. Think about how many plays we see during games where it goes to replay and immediately we're like, oh, that's going to get overturned. Immediately, we know it because right, it was such a bad call. But it's the human element of it, man. Nah, that's I want. I, can, I want him I to can, get it right. I can I look at the all right. twenty-two and go, "What are you looking at, Andy Dalton? Fred's wide open over there. Why did you not see him?" Right. Yeah, but, but that's not that. That's part of the game, right? The so refs, is this? No, I'd rather the refs get as many right as they possibly can. There's still going to be human error, but the amount of easy ones that we overturned during the game, those need to be overturned. I like that those are overturned. It would be annoying if those were not overturned, and you had to watch your team, you know what, you especially know, now that we have HD cameras. That's the thing that you forget about when you go I back know. to your rainy days on 12 inch screens. It was probably a lot easier to let those plays go because you couldn't see it all. Where that there was well. not such a thing as a remote control. And you, you couldn't th- rewind. You know the first remote control I had? 1982 when we had store cable in northern Kentucky, and you actually had this little thing. It was a box, yeah. and it slid. You actually had to manually slide it oh, from yeah. channel to channel. You remember oh, yeah, that? I remember those. Okay. Yeah. Right. So you're, 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 you're starting to get but, the old man territory. But you had a remote with that? No, it wasn't a remote. That was, that was the remote. You could actually you could take the cord. The cord would stretch all the way to the couch. Oh, I didn't see one of those. Oh, yeah. I remember the boxes oh, yeah. where you slid yeah. the thing, but yeah, I don't remember the remote. Well, it wasn't a remote. You just it, literally it, you had a longer cord for it, so you'd take the cord with you, and, and the box would come with you. That was oh, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, I, the ones I saw, I think like someone I knew had those that just sat on top of the... That's where you could watch watch porn on, on, on TV. Scrambled. Scrambled is yeah. best. Yeah. Was, it, there's nothing like that. <laughs> that really was. You get over a friend's house, I have to, like come home on the bus, no their question. parents aren't there. Yep. It's like you're watching the scrambled porn channel yep. for yep. three and a half hours until mom, their mom gets home to cook dinner. Yep. She comes through the garage door and you're just scrambling to change it to yep. Barney. Exactly. And she's like... Yeah, you guys were watching Barney all day, huh? Yep. yep. For real. I, we I'll were. buy that. Absolutely. Yeah. We were. No question. <laughs> Skitty, CBS is reportedly prepared to give color analyst Tony Romo a substantial raise. Romo's name was buzzing again after the AFC Championship game, during which he issued a total of 15 pre-snap predictions, hit on 12 of them with two incorrect predictions and one that was kind of, sort of right, according to a story by Yahoo where they went back and researched all of that. Do you like Tony Romo as a color analyst? I, I do, because I... I think that's what you want from from an analyst, right? You want you want to get inside what's going on with the quarterback. You want to know why he's getting ready to change this play, or the fact that he's getting ready to change this play, and and um, where he's going to go with the football. And I, I I just I, I like that stuff. I think that stuff is really good, really insightful. I don't think he talks too much. I think he talks just the right amount. Um, I, I I find that stuff fun because because usually as a fan, uh, as me as a fan, 
no matter what sport I'm watching, I've always tried to coach along with them, right? I mean, it's just the way I've always been. That's why I have a hard time watching sports a lot anymore because I try to coach along with them. During, during college basketball, NCAA tournament games, if I'm watching with, with other people. It, oh, I bet you're real enjoyable to watch it's games awful. with. It's just awful because I'm second-guessing everything, every every movement, every every call, every Good set. God. I am dreadful. I, I admit it. I tell people what happened I'm so to you, sorry. It used to be so I, fun to drink beers I, with. I know. I'm just terrible. But I like Tony Romo doing that. How about you? I do. I love it. I here's my only question: How has it taken this long for someone to call a game like Tony Romo does? We've never had a color analyst who has been able to step in and make that and transition had, so seamlessly. Dan Fouts is a quarterback. Rich Gannon is a quarterback. And we've uh, had nothing. Terry Bradshaw. I mean, we've had nothing Boomer, but Phil Sims. famous players, really successful players, step in. Coaches. Phil Sims. Step in. Phil, Phil Sims' analysis is good. Here's Jones. He makes a catch and they tackle him right there. That's a heck of a play. Okay, back to you, Jim. I don't understand how none of them, and it's not that some of them haven't been able to bring X and O expertise. Yeah. They've been able to come in, but none of them. Madden have been was able good to- at it. Madden, Madden was good at that too. Madden was good at diagnosing a play after after it took place. Yes. he was really good. He's at that. good at drawing it up after the play yeah. took place. We've got a lot of guys who can say, "Oh, they were in a Tampa two, and right. here's what they were looking for, and here's why it worked." We've never had a guy that can seamlessly step into the booth right after his playing days are done, or or really at any point during his broadcasting right. career, and. While the game is going on, he can, in layman's terms that make sense, without throwing around a bunch of jargon and trying to be too technical with it, say, here's what's happening, here's what the quarterback's reading. I don't need him to be right on all of them. Correct. I need him to tell me, here, as a quarterback, here's what I'm thinking to do, and doing it in a way, do it in a way that makes sense to me. Yes. In other words, he's saying, these guys are stacked up in the middle and, and really trying to push and pressure from the middle, they're going to run outside, that's why he's audibling right here. Yep. Or they're going to check down pass outside. And they usually do that when he says it. Yeah, like, you don't have to talk in football jargon to do that. Yes, just tell me all the easy stuff. I don't need all the X and O's afterwards of like, oh, the BY banana split, and this is why it worked, and Monkey came on, and like, I don't, I don't need any of that. Just give me, like, before the snap, while it's going on, tell me what a quarterback is watching for. Tell me when that guy's coming down looking like he's showing blitz, here's what a quarterback's thinking. Right, he's Not, counting numbers. He sees the numbers right here. And the, yeah. Right, like, all of that stuff is super interesting to me. I feel smarter. When I'm watching the game with Tony Romo, and then also when I go and watch the next game, I'm like, oh, like that's the same thing he was talking about there. That's that's happened again in this one. Like it really makes you understand a whole lot more what they're doing at the line of scrimmage when they're yelling all that stuff out and hiking up their leg and changing plays or killing plays. I think it's really interesting. I think they've struck gold there. They just got to make sure no NFL teams hire him back to be a backup quarterback. Yeah, no, or, or an offensive coordinator, yeah. one or the other. All right, la- lastly on the football front, um, the overtime rule obviously came up again because uh, Kansas City lost the toss. New England won the toss, went down, scored a touchdown. Kansas City never touched it in overtime. Um, they changed the rule a few years ago to make it where first on first possession, if you score a touchdown, game's over. If you don't score a touchdown, the other team at least gets the football once. Um I like the overtime rule as is. How about you? I hate it. Okay. For that game, you've got Tom Brady and Pat Mahomes. You got him third and ten three times. How about getting a stop? That's fine. Like you can say all that. I'm just saying I don't care. I'm not. I'm not doing this from the st- standpoint of hardo football guy. About you need to do better. I'm doing this from the standpoint of Fat Rick sitting down in his couch wanting to watch the best product that's most entertaining on my television. And you know what would have been really entertaining is if that game goes to overtime and it's college rules for the next six oh, or seven overtimes. Sakes. We're just watching those two teams. That shoot game might have been 95-95. It would have been because there's not one defense that is going to stop either one of those two guys in an overtime scenario like that. They're just 
just going to gun it out the rest From of the, the way. From the 25 in. And, well, you can move it back if you want for NFL rules. Okay. I don't care if you make it harder on them. Hell, I don't care if you do first and 20 to start off overtimes for NFL. Make the rules whatever you want, but just make it where it's a shootout scenario where we're just going to watch Pat Mahomes and Tom Brady do their thing for six or seven overtimes you know until like, one finally you know messes like? up. It's like watching penalty kicks. That's what that's like. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. No, it's oh, not because yeah, you got to make plays. You gotta make penalty, penalty kicks. No, penalty kicks. Penalty kicks is all about the go- goalie screwing up or getting lucky. Guess I'm right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess that's true. Yeah. But it, but it's, there's no skill involved. We're like, well, they, they tell you that, that there is. They tell you they can make some reads. Yeah, but it's not. It's okay. absolute nonsense. I mean, it's it's just not the sport. Football. You're still playing the sport. It's offense versus defense, and your defense can get an interception or a fumble. I mean, you can still be the aggressor I, and I, make a play. I mean, I like, don't even compare I like it, soccer and football. I right like now. it that's in college. Much. I just hate. I hate it in the NFL. I, I don't mind this. Look, you, 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 you. They, he drove seventy-five yards. He had three chances on third and ten, man, to get off the field. It just makes no sense to do sudden death ever. That's not. That's a silly, silly I concept. Like it. Sudden victory too. We don't call it sudden death any longer. Oh, was that two thousand nineteen? Yes, I I'm believe sorry. So. Yeah, that's, just, that's offensive. I think it was actually two thousand fifteen. People got offended by that. Oh wow. Yeah, okay. maybe earlier than that. Well, I, I, I'm sorry, I, and I know people say, "Well, it comes down to a coin toss." You know what? Win the game in regulation, though. Go find a way to win it. <laughs> score a touchdown at the end instead of kicking a field goal. You had a chance to score a touchdown, go score the touchdown. Don't don't let it go to overtime. I thought you were a basketball coach. I am. You sound a lot like football guy right now. Sorry. All right. We move on. Manny Pacquiao cruised to a unanimous decision victory over Adrian Broner at the MGN Grand in Las Vegas to retain his second WBA welterweight <laughs> title Saturday night. The Filipino champion outlanded Cincinnati's problem 112-50. to After the fight, Broner did exactly what he typically does, Skinny. Conduct this professionally, or we're not going to have an interview. You make the decision. What did you think about the fight? What you? I beat him. Everybody out there know I beat him. Everybody out there know I beat him. I controlled the fight. He was missing. I hit him clean more times. I beat him. You averaged eight punches. Less than eight punches was the most punches that you had in the round, and it seemed as though you couldn't get it close enough. Like, it already sounded like it was against me. So I already ain't, I already, I already ain't got a fair shake talking to you. But let me talk something. Let me let y'all know. I want to thank the whole hood who came out here. I love y'all. The Sade. Y'all know I beat that boy. Y'all know I beat that boy. They trying to, what they trying to do is they trying to get that money again with Pacquiao and um, Floyd. But He's not cool. wrong. I ain't worrying about it. I'm still that man. I'm on top. Cincinnati, stand up. West side. West side. You're 3-3-1 three, three and one in your last seven fights. What will you do next? Hey, I'm 3-3-1 three, three in my last seven, but I'll be 7-0 against you. Well, that wouldn't mean much. That's the... <laughs> That would have The best much. part is that, that you want to know who locked, had the knockout punch there? Jim Gray had the knockout punch with that one. That I wouldn't mean much. I, that wouldn't mean much. I, <laughs> that's, I mean, good self awareness by Jim Gray, yeah, first of all. Yeah. Uh, well, good self awareness by Adrian. I'd be 7 0 against you. Yeah, okay. Well, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. That's you're, fair. You're right. You're right. You you're, right. Be, Adrian, you're the problem. That's yeah. for sure. Uh, you watched the fight. I did not. Oh, is Broner's career over at this point? No, because he's, he's such a show. It's so much fun. See, I, I I totally disagree. He's been waiting for this opportunity to get a legit pay per view match, be seen on a national stage. I mean, like you this. watch Mike. I mean, he legitimately he got his ass kicked, right? It wasn't even not not only did he get his ass kicked, which I kind of expected. Right, I know you did. He didn't fight. 
He came and just danced around. But and he, didn't did, did you not punch. just listen? He beat that boy. <laughs> we we all know he did. Everyone in Cincinnati knows he did. West except side for does. West side everyone does. in Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Right. No one in Cincinnati wanted to claim Adrian Broner Saturday night after that fight. <laughs> yeah, we start saying Cincinnati. Everybody's like, no, 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 no not, not us. Mm-mm. Not our guy. Yep, cut no, that off. No, no. Uh, no, he, like, look, he's wanted this fight for so long. He's been such an idiot for so long. He's done this stuff for so long and Couldn't shown his backside. be an old man. And yes, that is... Being a character, yes, you can be a bit of a heel. Yes, boxing likes that, and and he's entertaining when he does that. But you have to be an entertaining fighter to go with it. I'll give you that. He went into the ring. He embarrassed himself by not even trying. He didn't throw a single punch for most of these rounds. He was just sitting there taking it. Did you watch the fight? He beat that boy. (laughs) And then he acts like that afterwards, which was just like, it's okay when you do that and you put on a great fight. It's not okay when you do that and everyone just thinks you're a clown. Right, when, you when it doesn't get abused. scored 112 to 50. Yeah. You landed 50 punches, right. bro. I could land 50 punches in a fight with Manny Pacquiao right now. Are you sure about that? I could. I guarantee you. Could 50 you, punches in 12 rounds? Could you beat Jim Gray? I'd be 7-0 and against him. Yes, you would. We'll try to line that fight up. I mean, yeah, the self-awareness. stand up. The self-awareness just ain't there. What side? <laughs> Southside. Oh, I think I might be Southsider. Southside, yeah, right. Southside. 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 Holy cow. Actually, I don't know. Should I be throwing up? I Technically, my mailing address is Erlanger. I feel like I'm more in Edgewood, though. Like, I think I'm Edgewood's Edgewood. a little suburban-y, though. Erlanger's got a little more I know. Edge. I know, but I, like, I'm, I'd like to edge. claim Erlanger Ellison, uh, personally, just I for agree. street credit. No question. How do you feel about that? I, that's what you know exactly where I, I live. Mean. Yeah, exactly. I, I'd go Erlanger. I would go Erlanger okay. for you. Okay. Yeah, I feel like No question. Southside. Southside. Wow. You talk about lack of self-awareness, man. It sucks, because... I lo- I like boxing. I like I having do. boxing storylines in Cincinnati. To- it was cool sure. having Adrian. I got to cover three big fights because he was I here. I grew up in the year of Aaron Pryor, man. I wanted him to succeed. I wanted him to be a big deal. I was excited for him to get this this chance. Even after he's been such an idiot and done all the terrible things that he's done in Cincinnati, I was still like, maybe this idiot will finally focus on boxing and quit doing all the nonsense. And I- unfortunately, I think that was his chance, and it's over. I don't think anyone would give that clown another pay-per-view fight i don't know he beat that boy that being said i wouldn't be surprised if this was all a total put on just to set up the pacquiao mayweather fight and he just got a huge pay cut just for doing that and that's possible too and because he, he went in and didn't throw a single and, and that way you you run your mouth and act the fool that you beat him and, and try to try to sell that after watching what you watched right that yeah that, that, that tries to, to lend some credibility to and it. and unfortunately it in a sport like boxing you can't really take that off the table there's yeah. a chance that's exactly what happened exactly right so Skitty, one more story here. It's a it's such a big podcast. So many different stories going on. We didn't go nonsense. We didn't go any ghost stories this week. There was just a lot. We're of not going to talk the ghosts because you know what I'm starting to hear. I swear to God, in my house, I swear to God, I'm starting to hear doors closing. I'm not. I'm fine. I'm, now, I'm in the clear now, now. It could be people yeah, outside. I, yeah, I, I'm telling you, I'm hearing doors closing on a regular basis to the point where I'm like, wait, somebody just come in the house. Yeah. Now my dogs are pretty keenly aware usually, so they don't move. So yeah. I'm the one hearing it. You're just neurotic. I think I am too. I think this is yeah. this whole thing's gotten to me. So we're going to take a week off of that. Okay. And uh, our final story this week is, just, I mean, if you've been co- following college football the off season so far at all, it's been pretty transfer wild. Transfer central, man. The NCAA implemented a new rule regarding transfers in college athletics this year. Players interested in transferring now have to submit their name into the transfer portal, at which point coaches at other schools are allowed to start communicating with them. Players are allowed to return to their current program if they decide not to transfer, but once the player's name is in the transfer portal, <laughs> schools also have the right to terminate their scholarship. Only school administrators were supposed to have access to the transfer portal. But like with anything else, Skinny, the information has been leaked incessantly since the college offseason started. Yes, it has. 
Do you think the transfer portal is good or bad for college athletics? And, and mind you, this isn't just football. Right. This is going to be this for is, basketball, yeah. too. I think, I think it's good if it's done right because it, it allows you to know when you can start to have some contact with these guys. Now, what does done right mean in your opinion? Like, What, does, what do you mean by that? I, I think the part of it is if it's to the point where you know, I can I can keep my scholarship at school A up until the point where I officially make my transfer. Um, I like the transfer portal because, like, like I said, that's not the case though. As I know. soon as you go, I know. put your name in, they can they can whack you. If they I know, um, which I'm okay with. I am to a degree, and, and keep in mind, scholarships are one year renewables. Even though you you hear you know four year scholarship, and usually that's the way it goes, unless you try to force a guy out. For sometimes guys are forced to transfer too anyway. Yeah, really, really. I, I, I like it, and what I say by done right is. There's a lot of illegal contact that goes on with with possible transfers. Mm-hmm. I think the portal, in theory, is okay. Now I see that this guy's available. Now I can contact him, and maybe that is, maybe that that's where schools start to turn other schools in. Of hey, he's already started to contact this guy back in September, and the NCA investigates and you slap him with it. You can't maybe make contact until you go into the portal. Now maybe the kid can reach out and say, hey, put my name in the portal. I want to come to your school. Do you want me? Okay, I, I'll give you that. I, no, I don't mind it. I mean, I. I guess you could always just keep it the old way of, of whatever backdoor deals you're doing because it's just become so rampant. Um, either way for me is fine. It really is. It, it, I, it doesn't bother me either way. I think from a business standpoint, this is an unbelievably smart move. It basically turns it into free agency. Correct. And you've now done – the NBA has done such a good job of making their free agency almost a new season in the but summer. This, but this has come very – a lot of these go quickly, though. I mean, it's almost like they're in the portal and they're out to the next school. Oh, yeah, but that's not going to be the case all the time. No, you're right. And, and the other part of it is it creates all this excitement because instead of a kid talking behind the scenes like you're talking about to that school and sort of deciding where he says, and then we find out because he's anan- announcing that he's transferring – we get this whole lead-up of, hey, Tate Martell put his name in the transfer portal. He's Where's a free he agent go? now. Where's he going? And we start doing that type of stuff. So it, you know what's going to happen? I mean, Jalen Hurts, he was, he was rumored to be going to you know, three or four different places. Suddenly, there's Oklahoma. Exactly. I mean, you're going to get to the point where you're going to have uh, – you're not going to have LeBron, but you're going to have a the biggest name in college football type guy is going to say – we lost our coach, or this happened, or the other happened. I mean, I'm in the transfer portal. There were a couple of dudes in the transfer portal that were pretty big deals. I mean, Jalen Hurts is a pretty big deal. Um, uh, Josh Fields is a pretty big deal going from Georgia to, to Ohio State. Now, yeah. the thing is, though, they didn't they, they weren't in the portal long. I mean, it wasn't like this. There was a great build no, up to this. No, but they still got a good week of uh, okay. about sports talk out of You're it, right. and Twitter and Instagram, everything else was buzzing, and it's not over. I mean, guys are still no. doing this in, in college football, and the, what it really did is it gave – players it the empowered power. them yes it yeah. empowered them yes. because it used to be you had to go to your coach and say i want to request permission to talk to this other school or, or not gonna or grant the, that permission fred the, no we're gonna let you transfer to every school but school xyz DJJKLMNOP. well more importantly if you go to your coach and you say hey i'm thinking about transferring that's like a whole conversation that makes this awkward now. right whereas if everyone has the right to say i want to be on on the free agent block i want to put my name out there you're allowed to do it. And you know what smart coaches are going to do? What John Calipari is going to do? Every one of his players are going to go in the transfer portal next year. Watch. He's going to make them all do it. I want them all to know their options. The smart coaches will do something like that. I guarantee it. Fair enough. I, you you watch. John Calipari will have and, and a I know, play for the transfer portal. And I know portal. that 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 fan of school, you know, school A or school B hates this because they think that those guys are coming for good old state U and they're going to stay four years. And even if they're the third string quarterback that by golly, they should be honored. Dudes want to play, man. And sometimes you make the mistake. Josh Fields went to Georgia, 
probably, or Justin Fields went, went to Georgia and and maybe thought, hey, I'll beat out Jake Fromm. I'm good enough to do it. Well, you didn't. And I get the fact that he's looking and going, this dude's got two, well, at least one more year, but probably probably two more years. I ain't sitting behind him. I'm going somewhere to play. Jalen Hurts. He's look, the best J- example. Jalen Hurts sucked it up for a year. All right? Sucked it up for a year. You know, just in case it was a competition. It probably really wasn't because I think two was always going to be the guy, but it was right. allegedly a competition. But he did what everyone wants guys to do. Yes, he sucked it up. He was a he was a he was a good scout. He when he got his chance to play, he bailed him out in the in the SEC championship game um, because he still is a quality quarterback. And then at the end of the year, said I want to play. And I think if you're a head coach in that circumstance, you're like, dude, you did everything for me. Go 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 play. I I got I got because because guess what you're also doing if you're a good program. You got two more Jalen Hurts coming in, right? You got two more of those dudes. Well, that's the whole reason these guys Correct. are leaving. What what really this is doing is it's creating more parity by not letting Correct. Alabama have a monopoly on quarterbacks. Yeah, their four-string quarterback never takes a snap in four years, and yet he's good enough to play at a bunch of places. And that's another reason I like this rule, because I want the best players on the field. I don't want... Hey, a guy went there. He was super talented. It didn't work out for him. He got recruited over, whatever. They found another guy that was their guy. I want him to be able to leave easily yes. and go to another power program and help them out. And then hopefully those two schools will play in a college playoff game somewhere down the road and we'll have a great storyline or something. Right. I want as many good players playing on the field as possible. And, and, and look, this rule allows it to happen more for, easily. For some of it is too. If you get a scholarship offer from Alabama or, or Clemson or give me a Ohio State, Oklahoma, the ego of taking that scholarship to that school is a big deal. And then suddenly you're up there and you're like, Damn, I ain't ever gonna get on the field here. It's just it, it is what it is. And then you go find a place and you can go play. And hey, guess what? You have a good two or three years at your new place. That's 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 perfect. That's great. I think that's great. It, yes, this is probably going to raise the number of transfers yes, in college athletics. That's all right. I've never had a problem with kids transferring. I don't think it's an epidemic. I think we're just finally realizing that hey, it's not real smart. If I want to be happy and I want to have fun, I want to make the most of my college experience. There's a billion places to do that at. It doesn't have to be the school I originally committed to. I'm all for students transferring, leaving. A bunch of my friends did it. They weren't athletes, and they made better decisions for them oh. after they left college. I mean, how many guys, how many people you went to college, or high school with that, that chose college A and then either maybe flamed out in college and got a career, or whatever, or decided, nah, you know what, I want to go to, to college B and and ended up getting their degree there and had a great great run of it. I, yeah, they're I'm, just I'm, making I'm, a good decision for them. Yeah, I mean, and that's what these football players yeah, are doing. For a lot of college kids, let's face it. What do you want to do? You want to go away from home, right? Then you go away from home for for, for six months. You're like, I can't handle my, this. Living on my own ain't fun. I don't like this anymore. I'm coming back home. I'm going to live at home and go to college at home. Or okay. Maybe, or maybe you liked it a little bit too much. Yeah, maybe there's there there could be that. I somehow got <laughs> that can it. be a problem too. I somehow got in and out in four years, and I'm still thinking it's the most modern miracle in, of mankind that I somehow got a college degree in four years, yep. and that I'm still alive to this day. Yeah, well, we're thankful for that. Yeah, I bet you are. All right, Rick, appreciate it as always. We enjoyed it. We'll be back one week from today with much, much more and possibly a ghost story or five. It's the Skinny Podcast presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.